a song with you. I want to share a verse. Psalm 61, it says, Hear my cry, O God, and listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Or you could also put, when my heart is overwhelmed. Anybody ever felt overwhelmed before? Uh, that probably be all of us. And I, uh, a year and a half ago when we were asked to go back to Portugal, it was something we, you know, we were open to. Uh, we've been praying for an opportunity that the Lord would open the door for any country, really. And so it wasn't that we weren't praying about it. But, and the decision actually to go wasn't that, that hard. But I'm going to tell you the decision to actually happen, make it happen, is uh, really overwhelming. And uh, I think I underestimated what it would be like to... Um, take six children to something that they'd never, they'd never known before and, and move them across the country. Uh, actually, it's interesting. Leilani and I, when we made the decision, we really felt like through our local church and um, through their direction and our, our leadership and world of life and really what God had been doing on our hearts, it was all it was the right thing to do. So we prayed that we would stop at five children so that we wouldn't be traveling with an infant. <laughs> but God has a, another plan. And uh, we would not trade IDL for anything, of course. <clears throat> but this passage has, has been really helpful for me because, you know, we've been uh, really tied into Spring Lake, New York, and challenging students, and moving out students, and helping students, and, and working with um, about 25 different countries with trips, and, and interns, and, and now here we are. And uh, I'm so thankful for the scriptures this morning. Lead me to the rock. That is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. And God just really, I was sharing a little bit with the elders this morning. We were praying. God just really been working on my heart. And sometimes I can be overwhelmed by circumstances when I need to be overwhelmed by the Lord. So I like to sing a song called Overwhelmed.
As we think about the Revelation song, when we say Jesus, is his name beautiful to you? When we say or think of the name Jesus, do we remind ourselves of all the miraculous things he's done for us? Not just think back what he did for Abraham, for Moses, for Joshua but for us. Are we all struck by the name of Jesus? If you have your Bible, I want to take you to the book of Nahum. Nahum chapter 1. And as I was spending time just thinking about this passage of uh, this book this week, I was thinking a lot of different things as I sat down with the text and working my way through different parts of it, and what do I share, and what not, you know, how do we put it all together, and can you come up with a, you know, a theme, and, and so as I came to this passage of Scripture, I had one concept or one thought in my mind, and as I spent some more time thinking about this passage of Scripture, I'm thinking about Nahum, and I think about a little phrase, your time has come. See, when you get to the book of Nahum, you 
you haven't probably remembered or thought back through about Nineveh. But this is the time where the prophet is going to declare that, that Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Jonah had already been there. He gave them truth. And now some years later, the, this group of believers, quote-unquote, or the, the country itself, after they've repented and said, you know, God, we accept Your mercy. We receive mercy. Somewhere around the year 760. I won't take a bullet for that. But now as you go along, maybe 38 years later, God is not a priority in their lives. 38 years later, there's not a relationship with God. They're not awestruck by God anymore. They're starting to look at, at the nation of Israel. You've got the northern kingdom, you've got the southern kingdom, and those kingdoms that have been separated after Solomon is gone, you've got the, these two kingdoms. They're living for themselves. They're enjoying the things of this world. And God's going to send this, this group of individuals from Nineveh to take captive the northern tribes. And so you're going to have this hatred growing from the people that know God and have a relationship with God, where God has demonstrated His power for years, are now going to be held captive by the Syrians. And you're going to see in in 722, they're going to capture the northern tribes, and those Assyrians have come from Nineveh. And Nineveh is just not only just this little old town. It's not like you're going to go up there and say, okay, we don't like you anymore, so we're just going to get rid of you. Nineveh is a very powerful city. Some say the walls were 100 feet high, wide enough for three chariots to ride around the top. That was the outer walls. And next to that was a moat, somewhere around 150 feet wide and 60 feet deep. So there wasn't just going to be anybody roll up to Nineveh and say, hey, we got your number, we're going to take you out. It's a huge city, wicked city, powerful city. A city that God was merciful to. And now as time goes along, their relationship with God was not cultivated. There wasn't a hunger for God. And so they started to live for themselves and became very wicked. Almost to the point, I won't say, um, almost to the point where saying, you know what God, we're going to defy you. Because we are so powerful, we don't need you. It went to that extreme. And so now as you come to this book of Nahum, you've got this concept or a thought is, God, where are you? It's kind of like the bullies right around the corner, and it's called Nineveh. And there's nobody big enough really to deal with the bully. How do we move this out? How do we say we don't no longer want to be under your captivity? And you've got people that, that, that love God are now being held captive. And they can't do what they want. And I'm not sure that they really wanted it. But they, they couldn't go to the tabernacle and, and sing and do sacrifices. They couldn't go and worship. And so now they're at a place in their lives, and maybe at times you find yourself this, God, where are you? God, there's so many things going on in my life now. Where are you? And so as I thought my way through this, this, this book, I was excited about, you know, you know talking about this, you know, Nineveh being destroyed and God was going to wipe out this city. But before I could get there, I had to deal with chapter 1. How am I going to work my way through chapter 1? And what's fascinating to me is you look at Nahum in chapter 1, you're going to get to see some characteristics of our God. And it's important to be reminded when you see the characteristics, it's not when they're at a resort area in the mountains, sitting on the porch, enjoying life, where everything's good. 
They're going to be described the characteristics of their God in the midst of difficult circumstances where life wasn't fair. And God was going to step in and say, hold on a second, I just want to say some things to you in a world of filled with chaos. In, a, in, in, an, in an area and a time when the nation of Israel really could have hated somebody. And God said, I want to speak to you. Probably, if you, if you just go through numbers, Jonah brought deliverance from the water in 1760. Destruction was brought by water in 1660 from the Tigris River, which overflowed its banks and the flood destroyed parts of Nineveh's wall, Nineveh's wall and the Babylonians invaded through the breach in the wall. They plundered the city and they, and they set it on fire. Well, um, that's one of my talk through the Bible, Wilkinson and Boa. A city that could not be conquered. A city that received mercy by God from Jonah coming from a whale. A city was going to be destroyed by a flood. And God was going to knock down the wall. And God was going to send in the Babylonian army and they were going to wipe these people out. And it's interesting as you think about maybe a, a theme, you could maybe say Nehemiah is to announce the fall of Nineveh and that by comfort Judah with assurance that God is in control. Hey, I know you're suffering over here, Judah. And I know you're crying out to me, but I just want you to know something. I'm still in charge. I still have a plan. And what was going to be interesting is, were the people in Judah, were they going to be willing to cultivate their heart toward a God when life wasn't fair? I left yesterday after the service. And I was thinking about the the family. And I was thinking the Taylor family is one generation away from saying no to Jesus. One mom and dad say, well, you know, it's, the Bible's not really that big of a deal. And then that passes on to the next, next generation. And then it goes on to the next generation. Your, your family is one generation away. If the Bible's not a priority to me, it's not going to be a priority to the next generation. If I don't love my Bible, my son's not just going to wake up one day and say, well, I, I'm going to love the Bible even though my dad's not going to. It's not how it works. It's meant to be passed on from generation to generation. It's meant to be when you say the word Jesus that it comes out of me in such a way that there's something different. That the things that I can tell my son and daughter about Jesus, about the miracles, is not just Old Testament stuff. It's the stuff that we can say to Mary Lou Woodard's niece. That's a miracle. That was God demonstrating to us His power through prayer. God, we need help. We can't help this person. We don't even know who she is, but we know that she's loved by somebody in our church. And she's got an aneurysm, and she doesn't know who we are. But God, would you help her? That's for us to tell on for generations. The story I didn't share first hour, and I didn't share with the Taylor family yesterday, but we were working different monitors upstairs, trying to get things ready for the service. And so we put in a new monitor, and we go upstairs, and Nancy and I were, you know, well, I t- we turned it on, and the monitor now is on these screens, not upstairs. And it's really, really fuzzy. And we're like, what are we, go-? I mean, so we're, 
you know, we're running around, we're trying to change. So we put the old monitor back, and it wasn't communicating, and I don't know anything about computers except plug it in, turn it on, and it should work. But this thing was putting, if you're with Nancy, the number one monitor is over here, and the number two is the monitor that you want up here. Well, every time we'd plug the thing in, it would switch it. And we don't want it switched because we want to work on things upstairs that you don't know what we're doing, and then we'll put it on the screen to demonstrate what we're doing. So we're going back and forth, you know. So I finally said to Nancy, let's just put the old monitor in. So she puts the old monitor in, she pow- and the computer doesn't want to power up. I'm like, okay, Lord, well, this is really interesting. So we just stopped and said, God, we can't do this. You know what happened? It came back on the right way with the old monitor. God, we don't know what to do. Was that just coincidence? No, it's something for us to be reminded of the power of God. And it worked perfectly. No problems through the whole service, and it's working now. No problem. Now, I'm sure if we go back up there and put that other monitor in, I guarantee it's going to do exactly what it did. It's just the way it works. And so when we talk about, the, our, we talk about our God, it has to be our God. Not the preacher's God. Not the neighbor's God. Not grandpa's God. Your God. God, what have you done? So that when we say the name of Jesus, it's not just... Just, oh, well, it's just Jesus. No, it's the Jesus that we know. It's the Jesus that we have a relationship with. So you have the book of Nahum. And I want you to go to chapter 1, and I'm going to give you some, some attributes, some characteristics, however you want to phrase it in your little work, in your Bible. But I want to highlight some things. So the next time that you come into a storm, you'll know some attributes of your God. Because a storm's going to come. It's always going to be there. God will send turbulence into your life. It's just the, the form that he chooses. And whatever it might be for me, you can you be saying, well, that's not a big deal. What's wrong with you? You're a preacher. You've been involved in church for how many years? That's a big problem with you? Yeah, it's a big deal to me. That's God's turbulence for me. So in my weakness, he's going to make me strong. God's going to send something to you that might not be anything that I would think about. Here's some characteristics. Go to, to Nahum chapter 1 and verse 2. The Lord is jealous. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. What does that mean? So if you think about some attributes, the Lord will protect what belongs to Him. So Judah, I know you're living in captivity, but I will protect you. I've got the power to do it, but I want you to know some things about me. I want to demonstrate some characteristics about me as your God, and I can only do that when I put the pressure on you, when I want to mold you. And so he says, I am a jealous God. Not only does he stop, does it just stop there, he says, I'm a jealous and an avenging God. He is just. Those Ninevites will pay. They will pay, but they will pay in God's time, not their time. How many of you love to be taken advantage of? How many love to be laughed at? How many of you, when somebody does you wrong, you do not want to get even with them? None of us. We want to say, we want to make you pay. And can you imagine these people, that this prophet went, his name was Jonah, and they received God's mercy, and now they're controlling you? God, make them pay. God, punish them. Take them out. God said, hold on a second. 
I will. And you need to know through this prophet that I am an avenging God. Look at verse 3. The Lord is slow to anger. He withholds judgment. He could have wiped them out whenever, but he sent a prophet, Jonah, first before he wiped out Nineveh. God is slow to anger. So he sent Jonah. He's long-suffering and he's patient. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Because of his desires that the people that repent, this was exhibited in sending Jonah to Nineveh about a hundred years before Nahum prophesied. I think all of us sitting in this room are thankful that our Father is slow to anger. And a lot of us wish our parents would have been more slow to anger. Because we would have got less whoopings than what we got. But know this. He is a jealous God. And He will bring you to your knees. You will not be allowed to run in defiance against Him. He will spank you. He will get your attention. He will do whatever He has to do for you to stop and say, hold on a second, you're my Father and I'm sorry, I'm going in the wrong direction. He will. As you read on, I want you to see in verse 3, and is great in power. I want you to go with me to 2 Kings chapter 19. 2 Kings 19. Just to remind you that God is great in power. 2 Kings chapter 19. Pick it up in verse 32. This group from Nineveh, they weren't just content to have the northern kingdom. They wanted it all. And so they've surrounded Judah. And they've crying out, and Judah's crying out for help. Pick it up in verse 32. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the kingdom of Syria. He will not enter his city or, nor, or shoot an arrow. He will not come before it with a shield or build a, a siege ramp against it. By the way, he came, he will return. He will not enter the city, declares the Lord. I will defend the city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, they were all dead bodies. So they turned around and left. They came down there in power with lots of people, military might, and God said, by the way, you won't get this city because I'm powerful. This city belongs to me. And he wiped out 185,000 that night to demonstrate his power. So you're sitting here this morning. I want to remind you that a characteristic of your father is that he is powerful. No matter what the situation you face, he's bigger. And if you read on just a little bit farther, it says, The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. He won't. So a time is coming, maybe sooner than later, that we might live in a society that we want to be punished. How will we survive? We will say, well, Lord, you're a jealous God, an avenging God. You're slow to anger, great in power. And I want you to go to verse 7. The Lord is good. 
a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust Him. But with an overflowing flood, He will make an end to Nineveh. He will pursue His foes into darkness. He's a refuge. When do you need a refuge? When you're in trouble. When you need somebody to turn to, when life doesn't make sense. When do you need a refuge? As Matthew's saying, when you're overwhelmed. When you're standing before God and say, God, we can't do this. He will be your refuge. He will be your shelter. Take your Bible and go to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. Psalm 27, verse 1. Psalm of David. You really should ask yourself, what did David have to go through in order to put these words down on a piece of paper? This is what is in front of you today. From David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. What did David had learned in his life? He learned what it was to find a refuge in his God. He learned what it was right, what it was like to find a stronghold. And it wasn't a stronghold for his neighbor, it was his stronghold. The Lord is my stronghold. The Lord is my refuge. The Lord is where I go when things are too much for me. You can read on farther. If you go down through 9 um, through 14, you get a chance to see how this is going to play out. And I won't share all that with you this morning, but I want you to go over to, to verse 15. I want you to look at Nahum 1.15. The prophet speaking, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. The nation of Judah is discouraged. And then the prophet says this to them. Look, they're on the mountains the feet of the one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, O Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. Where does the help come from? From the mountains. Judah, go back, celebrate your festivals. Go back and worship. Those wicked people will be gone. Gone. I'll wipe them away. And so if you take that passage of Scripture and you fast forward, some believe if you can go to Romans chapter 10 and verse 15, where does your help come from? For us, the gospel. Where does it come from? Jesus. So you're in a building, the 21st century. Oh yeah, we're not held captive. We can go and come as we choose. But if there comes a time where it's not like it is now, or God sends a circumstance, whatever that might be, in the middle of your circumstance, come back and remind yourself of the attributes of your God. Remind yourself that He is the gospel. He is hope. Remind yourself that He can be your refuge if you allow Him. If you've ever had children... One of the things that you like to do as a parent is to protect your children. But there comes a time in your life when they get a little bit bigger than you. 
and they'll make comments, and they don't really need you to be there, quote-unquote, protecting. But I long for my children to choose God as their protector. And I can't do that for them. Oh, I can protect them when they're three, four, five, six, as best as my ability. And I work at that. There's only one shelter that will protect you. His name is Jesus. And I wrote down a couple things as we, we end our time together. It's good to know the attributes of your father. It really is. Because if, if Judah didn't remind themselves that their God was jealous and an avenging God, slow to anger, great in power, that he could be their refuge, they would became bitter. They would have said, God, this isn't fair. It's good to remind yourself not only the attributes of your father, but then allow those attributes to help you navigate your life. Know this. Know if a nation says we don't need God, God will step in and bring that nation to their knees. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. James 4, 6. So this morning... We could say, well, Nahum prophesied, it's your time, Nineveh, God's going to wipe you out. And we could say that, and that would be biblically correct. But I think what Nahum is saying to you today is you need to know the attributes of your father in the midst of the storms of life. Because the storms will come. But the attributes never change. And if we lean on the attributes, the way we live our lives in the middle of the storm is different than if we don't know the attributes. I've never seen this happen, but you know they say to me when you're a kid, when you're, my parents were kids, and that used to take a chicken and used to cut its head off and then it would run all around after you whacked its head off and eventually just fall over and die. I just wonder how many, how many chicken Christians we have that run around in the midst of storms and they just fall over and die because they can't navigate, because they don't know truth. I want us to be able to navigate. And if none of this makes sense to you, then maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you haven't come to Jesus and said, you know what, Jesus? I surrender. Jesus, I need forgiveness. Jesus, I need a Savior. Because if you don't have Jesus, you've got nothing. You've got Jesus. I'm sure my English teacher would be really disappointed in me at this point in life you got Jesus, you got it all. I pray that you know Jesus today. And you have everything that you need. If you're willing to surrender. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to gather around your word. Thank you for bringing the Melvilles here. Thank you, Father, that you knew about today when we just were having fun playing basketball and talking about ministry. You knew about Portugal and his children and the ministry there. So God asked, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would go before the Melvilles. You would tear down the walls. You would do the healing that needs to take place. That you would reopen and establish a field that would reach many students for you. I know there's a lot at stake, and I know Satan doesn't want this. 
But God, you do. So you move before them in mighty ways. And God before us is Highlands County. And before you this morning are our sons and daughters. Do you know your father? Have you been encouraged by his attributes this morning? Keep running to him. If you're overwhelmed this morning, it's okay. His name is Jesus. He's quite capable of taking care of overwhelmed hearts. But he only takes care of overwhelmed hearts of people that ask for help. So ask him today. Say, Dad, I need you. I'm overwhelmed. Would you help me today? He's also in the business of changing hearts from the inside out. From those who said, I need a Savior. His name is Jesus. He died on the cross for you. He shed His blood. He was your substitute so that you could have eternal life, so that you could have hope. But you have to call on Him. You have to ask Him. Say, dear Jesus, I want to accept you today. I want you to be my Father. I know I'm guilty of death, but you gave me life through your son, so I just accept the free gift. Father, you know what's in front of you today, so do what you need to do. Holy Spirit, move in amazing ways so that you'll be honored and glorified. Father, thank you that we can gather together as a family, open your word, sing to you. Father, send us out as different people that came in. In your name I pray, amen.